Well, good morning, church. It's good to be here with you this morning. You know, we really do kind of figure out who we are in regards to Christ's likeness when we're under pressure. We really kind of figure out how Christ-like and how, how much we carry on the character of Jesus, of the Messiah, when our life is under pressure. That's really why we're doing this entire series, Pressure Points. We recognize that if, if the people in this room are going to be a part of helping people find and follow Jesus, we have to respond well when we're under pressure. Because we have to demonstrate to everybody around us who may, may or may not know Jesus what it's like when life is under pressure. That this is how Jesus would respond in this situation, and this is how I want everybody to respond. That, that when life is under pressure, we want to just show, we want to ooze Christ's likeness. That when life is under pressure, we're in the vice grips of life, what oozes out is not hatred or, or a dislike for other people, but what oozes out of us is Jesus. And so we have just been going through this series for a number of weeks now, pressure points, uh, so that we might grow, that we might develop, that we might walk out of here today, and we might be a little more like Jesus when we leave than when we came in. And then when we're experiencing those vice grips, that Jesus comes out instead of something else. Now, I know that some of you recognize that, that there are times in this life when what uh, feels like a great pressure is the fact that uh, we have a great intuitive, instinctual plan. Uh, we have this great agenda uh, that we think is going to glorify God. That we have something that we think is going to honor God and show Him that we love Him. And, and there are times throughout life that the pressure is put on because God says no. There are times, it seems, that we have a wonderful idea about what is going to happen, what's going to really honor God in the next phase of our life, and God stands in the way. You know what I'm talking about? Travel back with me. Some of you aren't this old, but travel back with me nonetheless. Put your time machine hats on. And I want you to go back to April of 2001. I'm a senior in college, and I'm getting ready to graduate, and I happen to be able to go to a leadership conference at Southeast Community Christian Church, not Community Church, Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky. Now, if you're not familiar with this church, it's a big church. It's like really, really big. Like they have like 25,000 people come through their doors every Sunday. I mean, it's like really big. And we were there in April of 2001, and they had, just, uh, they had just finished this great big new expansion, and you walk into what is their sanctuary area, their gathering space like this, except there is, it's like walking into an arena, Okay. I mean, it's like 5,000 seats or something crazy like that. And, and, and I was with several of my classmates, and we, for some reason, happened to be there at the time of day when nobody else was. Now, the building was open, but nobody else was in the sanctuary. And the lights were on, and so we thought, well, we're just going to walk in because this is kind of cool. And so we walked through the doors, and, and you kind of walk down, and you're, I mean, you're just in awe. I was, at least. I'm kind of in awe, like, wow, 
Look how big this is. And like I said, there's nobody around. Nobody's telling you, okay, you can't go back there. I mean, we could go anywhere. And so I thought, well, hey, if I can go anywhere, I decided, you know, I, I want to preach. And so I decided I, there's steps kind of leading up to a platform that looks something like this. And I just decided I'm going to walk up there. And, and the preacher at the time, his name was Bob Russell, and his pulpit was out there. And I thought, well, I'm just, I, so I walked up onto the stage and I put my hands on the pulpit and I kind of looked around and I started doing one of these. And then a the voice of a prophet, it was one of my classmates, and he could almost see what I was thinking. I thought, I'm thinking as I'm standing behind that pulpit, someday, God, someday I'm going to honor you. I'm going to preach to thousands. And my classmate, acting like a prophet that day, goes, it's never going to happen, Cahill. <laughs> and I was hurt. But can I tell you, you know what? God, God has said no to that for me. God has stood in the way. Those opportunities haven't come my way. Sometimes... Life meets disappointment because even though we have really grand plans to try and glorify and honor God, God says no. God stands in the way. God speaks to us through people in a prophetic way and says, that's not going to happen. And sometimes we have a tendency to kind of curl up and be kind of angry or disappointed. And so the, the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning is, how is it that I respond when God says no? Uh, what is it that I do to respond to God when God stands in the way and I have a tendency to respond uh, by being disappointed? I mean, all of us probably have an instance or two in which we can point to in our life when we say, I know the, the thing that I feel like God is standing in the way of my life. I know uh, that there are places that, that God has looked at me and said no, where God is just not allowing something to happen, that I want to happen, that I would say, God, I would honor you in this, and I would, I would give you praise in this, but God is saying no. Maybe that's a new job for you. Maybe you're like, God, I would honor you with this new job and I would be able to, to tell people about you and, and, and I would give you glory and, and letting me have this job. But it seems like the only, the only person, uh, the only uh, entity in the entire universe standing in your way uh, between you and a new job is God. That God simply is saying, no, don't go that way. I don't want you to go that way. I'm going to stand in your way. I'm going to say no. Maybe it's a move. Maybe you desperately want to move and God is saying, no, I'm not going to let you move. Maybe it's that you desperately want to stay and someone else is, and everyone else in your life is saying, no, you need to go. In fact, God is opening the door and saying, I want you to, to go. And you are saying, I don't want to go. And God is saying, no, you need to go. Maybe it is that you want to add members to your family and it is that, that you desperately want this, and you would give glory to God, and you would say, God, I would honor you as a parent, and, and yet it seems that at th this point in your life, God is simply saying, 
know that he is standing in your way. Maybe it's a relationship that you desperately want to have. And you want a relationship in the worst kind of way. And you say, God, I would honor you in this. I would obey you in this. And it seems like God is saying no. And when God says no, there can be a little disappointment. In fact, there can be some frustration. And if you have had God say no to you, if you sense in, in the depth of your being that God somehow, some way, is standing in the way uh, between you and what it is that you think that you want, or, or that he has said no, I want you to know that you're in good company because there's other people in the Bible, in fact, that have had to face this question that we're asking ourselves this morning. You see, there's a guy, and he, his name is David. And in fact, when we catch up with him in our story this morning, he, he's a king, and he has this grand vision of great intuition. Uh, he, he just has this instinctual idea of action that he wants to give to God. He looks over, and he's living in this really nice place, and he's going, man, I, I live in this really nice place. I got all the luxuries that I want. I got my dishwasher. I got that like stand-up refrigerator that opens up and you can walk into... Okay, David doesn't say all of that, okay? But you kind of have to read between the lines. He's got it all. He's living in a really nice pad, okay? He is in a really great spot, right? There used to be a show, The Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Some of you recognize that show? Yeah, that's David. He's living the lifestyles of the rich and famous. I mean, he mentions that he's living in this cedar place, He's got real, all the great stuff. And he says, hey, I, I'm living here. I got all this great stuff. But God, he's, he's down there living in the tent. I probably better do something about that. And it's in the, in the course of action, God is going to say no. Even though David has all the best of intentions, even though he has this great intuition, instinctual action to try and honor God, God says, I don't want you to do that. You're not my guy for that. And we're going to hear God's response to David after God says no. And we're going to hear David's response to God after God says no. And all of us in this room, we're going to walk away with a little answer in our pocket to how we can respond to God when God says no. Uh, we're going to uh, walk away with something in our pocket, an answer in our minds, in our hearts, and to how we might be able to be challenged to respond rightly to God when God seems like he's disappointing us. So if that's of any interest to any of you this morning, I'm going to encourage you to grab a Bible if you don't have a Bible, I'm going to encourage you to grab one. There should be one in the pew back in front of you. And we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Joshua judges Ruth. If you go to Ruth, then 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. And we're going to be in chapter 7. So 2 Samuel chapter 7. Uh, 
I don't know that there's anything more satisfying to a preacher than the pages of a Bible being turned. I don't know that there's anything more unsatisfying than a a cell phone going off in the middle of a service. Thank you, Lord, for that. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Sometimes we recognize that what seems like a clear yes on earth is a very clear no from heaven. Let's read verse 1. After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all of his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in the palace of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replies to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it for the Lord is with you. Now, it seems like David and Nathan, they have this good relationship. Uh, They're probably not just like the king and his prophet. It's probably more like these guys are friends. They know each other. They probably hang out and, and play bocce ball or something. I don't know. And they probably are sitting around and they're hanging out. And David's like, you know, I, I, I'm, here I am. Look at me. You know, Nathan, you're a godly guy. I've got all this stuff. Uh, and God's sitting in a tent. I need to do something about that. Don't you think, Nathan? And Nathan, not really acting as a prophet here, and probably more uh, uh, like a friend, a wise friend, a godly friend, says, hey, David, you know what? God's given you a whole bunch of stuff. He's with you. He's blessed you. Go, go for it, man. And so you can almost see David go to bed that night and he's all excited and he's got all these plans and he just can't wait to see what what he's going to do in building God's new house. But before the sun comes up the next morning, God says no. Before David gets up, before breakfast gets cold, God sends a message and says, not this time. Not this way. I want you to hear what he says. That night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Nathan's the prophet. He's the one who is going to communicate God's message to God's people. And he says, go and tell my servant David this. This is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build my house to dwell in? I, I haven't dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this very day. I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of the rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Did I ever say that? No. And God is saying in rhetorical question, hey, listen up, you're not the guy. I never asked for that. In fact, there's a theological issue going on here. Uh, David is saying, I want God to be permanent. I want him to be in this place. And God is saying, "Uh, since when did I ever need a place to be? I have always been a God on the move. I have always been a God who is with my people wherever my people happen to be, wherever that happens to be. He says, have I ever asked for this? You see, in a very eloquent sort of way, God says to David, you're not the guy. That's not what I'm asking for. It's hard to hear no, isn't it? Or is it just me? (laughs) It's hard to hear no. 
Because sometimes in our intuition and in our instinctual act to try and be uh, honoring to God, we don't bring our agenda to God ever. We have to go to God so that he can give us his agenda. You see, God isn't impressed with our intuitive action projects. You know what honors God? You know what glorifies God more than anything else? Our obedience to his word. It doesn't really matter what our projects are. It doesn't really matter how we think that we can honor God with our projects. You see, David didn't go to God with this. He just thought, hey, this would be cool. I want to do this for you, God. And God goes, since when do I need this? You see, we don't bring our agenda to God. God God brings his agenda to us. And right here, God just simply says no. Now, I want you to hear very clearly, after God says no to David, after he says, David, that's not my agenda. That might be on your agenda, but that's not on my agenda. I want you to hear how God affirms David even after he said no. You see, God doesn't say no angrily to David here, uh, just like he's not saying no to you angrily. He's not standing in your way just so that you'll be angry. You see, after he says no to David, he comes alongside of David. It's almost like God uh, himself recognizing that David wants to honor God, to glorify God. Uh, God comes around David. He puts his arm around David, and he says, now, David, it's going to be okay uh, because I have a great plan for you. And I want you to hear the affirmation that God gives to David. He says, I affirm you, and I have affirmed you in the past. I'm going to affirm you in the present, and I have a great affirmation for you in the future. There's something better that you can't quite see that I can see, and that's why I'm standing in your way. Look with me at what God says after he says no to David. Look at verse 8 with me. He says, now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Recognize how many times God is going to say, I, to David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. He says, I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be ruler over my people. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all of your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest of the earth, and I will provide for you a place, a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all of your enemies." The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and your rest with your fathers, I will raise you you up from your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever." I will be his father and he will be my son. And when he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken from him as I took it away from Saul, Saul, whom I removed from before you. 
Listen to this. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever. Forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. So God said to David, David wants to do this grand thing for God. He says, I want to honor you by building this house. I want to give you a place to dwell in that's like my palace. And God says, no. God stands in the way to David's great grand plan. Why? Because God has something else in store for David. And he gives him some level of affirmation to say, look, you're still my guy. Look, I've been with you in the past. I'm going to be with you in the present. And there is a great future that I have in store for you. I have a great plan. Gang, we should not be surprised that even though God says no, he comes along with his hand and says, I still affirm you. I still have a great plan for you. Don't give up. We shouldn't be surprised that God has something in store. You see, David wanted desperately to be remembered as a man who built God's house. But God had a plan for David that he wanted to be him to be remembered as the man who was the unifying unit of God's promise to the time of Jesus. You see, what, what God is saying here When he says, I'm going to establish your house forever, he's going all the way back into the book of Genesis and to the promise that God made to Abraham. He made a promise to Abraham, hey, I'm going to make you a great nation and it's going to establish itself forever. And between Abraham and Jesus, there is this guy, this king right here, and his name is David. And God is unifying the promise that he made to Abraham all the way to Jesus through the person of David. He says, David, look, the picture is way bigger than some some little house. I don't want you to build me a, a house of stone. I want you to build my kingdom. You are going to be the one. You are going to be the seed through which the Messiah comes, through the Savior of the world is going to come. I'm going to establish your kingdom forever. He says, I know that you want this, but I have a plan that's bigger than you can possibly imagine. I've said no because I have something else for you. And David now is not remembered as the guy who built the temple. He is remembered as the guy through which the Messiah comes. And his his house, through Jesus, endures forever. God said to David, I still have a plan for you. Now, maybe you're in a situation where God has said no. And perhaps you need to wait and listen carefully to God's affirmation in your life that He has done something for you and in you. He is doing something for you and in you. And He has something in store for you. Maybe something that you can't see that's far greater. Does anybody remember what's going to happen to the temple? Yeah, Solomon's going to build it. 
But before even Solomon is dead, there are people who are corrupt that are taking the furniture and the gold and they're, and they're pillaging the temple. And then generation after generation after generation, the temple finds a continual corruption and eventually, twice, the temple is destroyed. God was saying to David, look, I, I've got something bigger, something that's not going to be destroyed. It's not going to be... It's not going to be a stone or wood, but it's going to be great. Several years ago, it was probably a decade or more ago, I was, uh, I was preaching in a town in Illinois. It was a small town, Rushville, Illinois, if you ever want to go there. And uh, we were preaching there, and, and, and I'm just here to tell you, we had gone through some really tough years. We'd gone through some turmoil in, in the church, and, and it was difficult. It was hard on. And, and I'm just going to be honest with you, I was tired. I was really tired. I didn't want to do it anymore. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to honor God. I'm going to get out of Dodge. I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to begin a different ministry And so I started looking, and and there was a contact uh, that we had made in Colorado, and and I sent a resume in, and and they liked my resume, and they called me right away, and they were excited, hey, you know, uh, and I could tell, like, they kind of wanted me to come, and and I was excited. I'd grown up in Colorado, and I loved the mountains, and I was like, Southern Colorado, here I come. It's going to be great. And, uh, you know, that night I remember coming home and, and I was telling Jolyn all about it. And, and it was like God used her to be a voice of a prophet, really. And she was like, I know that this looks pretty good, but there's two things. One, I don't want to go to Colorado. <laughs> but the other was this. I don't think God's done with us here. And I'm not sure that we're ready to say goodbye. And over the next coming weeks, as I prayed through that, it became very clear that God was standing in the way. That I wasn't going to be able to get on stage and say, yeah, sorry, see you later. I wasn't going to be able to tell people goodbye. Not yet. And God stood in the way and God said no. But you know what? Over the next 18 months, God affirmed our ministry. God affirmed our place there. God affirmed our staying. And those were the most fruitful months of our entire ministry there. So before we did say goodbye, God was saying, hey, I still have a plan for you. You still have something to give. And I'm not going to open the door for you to go somewhere else. And in fact, had I taken that opportunity, I never would have gotten to teach at the college. Never would have gotten to partner with other people in ministry the way I have here. And God was saying, I have something else for you. Don't give up. Now, we have seen so far, haven't we, that God has said no, and that sometimes when when God says no, He's going to come alongside of us, and He's going to wrap His arms around us, and He's going to affirm uh, that He still has something in store for us. 
But I don't want you just to see and hear God's response. I want you to hear David's response. How is it that you respond to God when God says no? What is it that you do in response to God uh, when you're disappointed when God stands in the way? Now, you have two options. You can pout or you can praise. But so that you have an idea of what pouting looks like when God says no, I want you to take a look at this. Well, now you know what you look like sometimes when God says no. When God says no, you have an option. You can pout or you can praise. You have an opportunity. You have a challenge this morning on how you will respond. Will you pout or will you praise? Notice what David does if you want and you're still with me. Uh, Look at what David does in verse 18. Then King David went in and listen. He sat before the Lord. And notice what he says. Who am I? Who am I, O sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, O sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. Is this your usual way of dealing with man, O sovereign Lord? Uh, By the way, that's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. What more can David say to you? For you know your servants, sovereign Lord. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. How great you are, O sovereign Lord. There is no one like you and there is no God but you as we have heard with our hearts. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself and to make a name for himself and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their God from from before your people whom you have redeemed. You have established your people as your very own forever. And you, O Lord, have become their God. And now, Lord... Keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you have promised. David could have pouted. 
He could have stomped his feet and crossed his arms. But instead he decides, and he comes, and he sits, and he bows his head, and he prays before God. And his prayer isn't, God, change your mind. His prayer isn't, God, I want you to turn your yes, your no into yes. He sits before God, and, and here's what he says. You're God, and I'm not. I'll be your servant. I'll obey. Because I trust you more than I trust me. Now, I, I don't know all the ways that perhaps God has said no to you. I don't know all the ways perhaps that it feels like in your life God has stood in the way. I don't know all the painful prayers that you have sat before God, perhaps with tears streaming down your face, and pleaded, God, do something else. I don't know all of those. But can I ask you this morning, can I challenge you that God knows, not only does He know, but He knows you and He knows what's best for you and He wants to affirm you. And so can I just encourage you, can I challenge you to accept His no? Can I encourage you to accept where He has stood in the way and for you to find His plan? You have an opportunity this morning to pout. But you also have an opportunity to praise. I can't tell you what to do. But I can tell you what a guy under pressure named David did. And he sat, much like we're sitting. And he prayed. And he praised. Let's pray. Gracious God, I thank you. I thank you for your son, Jesus. Lord, without him, we don't have salvation. We don't have anything. Lord, would you just become more and would we become less? And Lord, would we accept your no? Would we accept when you stand in the way? And Lord, instead of pouting, would you, would you help us to come and sit before you and just say, I know that you are God and I am not. And trust, and trust, Lord, that, that you know better than we do. Lord, we love you. And in the pressure of saying no, Lord, may our truest character come through and may that character be like your son Jesus we love you Lord and it's in Jesus name that we pray amen if you're sitting here this morning and your life is under pressure and you have no idea what we're talking about when we talk about Jesus then we want to have a conversation with you 
We want you to know Jesus. We want Jesus to ooze out of you when your life is under pressure too.